0: So welcome to August at Hope Church and our seeker services. Last week we talked about our free pew, meaning you are welcome to sit no charge. Where you sit is never connected to your ability to pay. Our free pew is at the heart of our democratic ethics. The equality of all is a fundamental spiritual value, and we are certain of this. We insist on the inherent worth and dignity of every person. It's it's our lifelong work to inch toward this ideal. Another part of the free pew is you're free to accept or reject the teachings of the church. We don't have a statement of belief. We don't expect anyone to repeat a creed. We don't repeat a common confession of belief. Other religions require members and clergy to accept a formula of theology. Many sitting here, myself included, walked away from religious traditions because of a creed. In high school, I could no longer repeat the Nicene Creed. I could no longer say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of Jesus Christ, Son of God. It still rolls off my tongue. You know, a creed sorts and separates. And our free pew is tied to our free pulpit. As your minister, I'm not required to profess a specific belief or profess a lack of belief. Hope's free pulpit is what we're exploring today. And the free pulpit is the agreement between us, between you, the church, and me, your minister, Granting me freedom to examine my heart, to study, and then preach what I understand at this moment to be true. So I accepted this profound privilege when I was hired two years ago. And then last May, when I accepted a call to be your long term minister, we confirmed this freedom and this agreement. We recited a covenant together, not a common creed. We promised aloud to grow our understanding together through intellectual, emotional, and religious insights. Hold on. You called me. You called me for a specific reason. You called me to be your sermonator. <laughs> so I shall be your sermonator. It's a roll up, kind of sleeve kind of thing. So lately, I've been reading about ministers who took grave risks in the free pulpit back when our country was divided over slavery, for example. Reverend Dr. Henry Furness, at the tender age of 22 and fresh out of Harvard, accepts a call to the First Unitarian Church of Philadelphia he remains in that pulpit for 50 years the relationship is not easy or rosy in 1838 a notorious anti-slavery hall burns to the ground and this act of violence spurs furnace to deliver what may be his first public sermon devoted to a denouncement of slavery. Up to that point, during his first 13 years at First Church, he mentions slavery but doesn't really highlight his objections. As he begins focusing more and more sermons on the topic, some members of his church organize a public rebellion against him. Many in the congregation own slaves. One church member, Pierce Butler, is heir to the estate of one of the nation's largest plant, cotton plantations. So Furness's attacks on the fugitive slave law draw attention that President Buchanan's cabinet members, they discuss indicting him for treason. His anti slavery sermons grow so impassioned, both he and the congregation fear retaliation from Southern sympathizers. Church members call for Furness's immediate resignation. The Board of Trustees look at their bylaws, trying to find a way to get around the rules preventing them from controlling or interfering with the minister's official duties even members sympathetic to the abolitionist cause, beg Furness to stop. Furness replies publicly, when I feel myself bound, as I do, to utter ungracious truth, to speak what offends and pains you to hear, It is one of the hardest duties that I have ever undertaken to perform. Describing the growing tensions, Furness's son Horace recalls two members of the church who bring loaded pistols in their pockets to defend him to the utmost. They're going to watch over that free pulpit. So I ask myself, what issues are that vital today? I ask myself, what if this was my last sermon? What must be said? What needs to be said? And what sermons would cause a group here at Hope to defend and protect the preaching here? With guns. I have a sign on my desk urging me as I'm writing Will this sermon require my congregation to carry weapons? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Yet, we live in a different day and age as Reverend Dr. Furness and the First Unitarian Church of Philadelphia. I don't want weapons in our church. I question our increasing rights to carry firearms no matter what. Our national laws and policing policies ignore human nature research social psychology research confirms something called a weapons effect it turns out just the presence of a weapon or even even a picture of a weapon leads to more aggressive behavior in humans that's interesting considering what's going on with our sheriffs department this increase in aggression is not just limited to, to inside the research lab. For example, drivers with guns in their cars are more likely to drive aggressively. The weapons effect. It makes sense, considering our biological systems evolved to enable us to identify potentially dangerous stimuli in a split second. The social scientists who discovered the weapons effect Said, guns not only permit violence, they can stimulate it as well. The finger pulls the trigger, but the trigger may also be pulling the finger. So I asked for sermon topics yesterday, last Sunday, as part of our free pew. And one was how can gun violence be eliminated? And just this week, an email's been going around for, with um, Hope's social justice community organizing core team, citing a New York Times article that has concrete proposals for using the vast U.S. gun market marketplace to push manufacturers for safer gun technologies. We're not talking an either-or at the moment about guns but the issue of guns is on all our minds daily it's with us even when we buy a movie ticket or walk into a mall so violence and guns deserve study and discussion by us and whole sermons from me and I digress but I'm not. At the heart of the free pulpit is our sacred work to learn from each other. At the heart of the free pulpit is our sacred commitment to agree, to disagree. We agree to listen to each other. Not one person, including the minister, has all the answers. We agree to remain curious. No one person, including the minister, has all the answers. And we agree to nurture humility. No one person, including the minister, has all the answers. I'd like to read sermons given from this pulpit in the past years to know what risks were taken to get us to this point. And it just so happened a couple who signed our charter and met when Hope Church met at Key Elementary are here today. They haven't been here for, I don't know, decades, years? And I, ha- I was going to mention that I know that from this pulpit, with humor and brashness, the beloved minister Bill Gold and this flock took on the outrageous religious stunts of our neighbor Oral Roberts. When South Tulsa was mostly rolling horse and cow pastures, the towering presence of ORU's eternal flame atop the prayer tower and the nine foot hundred Jesus no, it was a 90 foot, 900 foot, it was big, 900, I know, it had to be big, 900 foot Jesus that Oral himself claimed to have seen and spoken to. Those were perfect foils for the new hilltop presence of Hope Church and its rational humanist worldview. And there's a song that I won't sing. I sang last time. (laughs) But you'll have to teach us and write down the song about being on top Hope Church hill and looking down literally, figuratively. I too can be outlandish and preach to gain national attention if this is the best way to take advantage of Hope's free pulpit. I'm not sure it always is. I question this classical view of a few hundred words spoken between 11.20 and 11.45, 20 minutes or so each Sunday, as being the main expression of a free pulpit. I'm not convinced big, splashy, fiery sermons always change hearts. For me, I need a constant, steady drip of ideas for change. I find that's more realistic for the human being, soul, if we want to use John O'Donohue's word. A nudge and gentle adjustment of perspective can be dramatic, and how people in history change. I experience a free pulpit effect that shapes me day in and day out. It structures my waking hours, it shapes my readings, my reactions, my choices, and my conversations. I've begun to view this free pulpit as not a solid, fixed thing in time and space. The free pulpit is more like a TARDIS. If you're not a Doctor Who fan, a TARDIS is the big blue police telephone box that disguises a time machine and spacecraft. TARDIS, time and relative dimension in space. The phone booth in Doctor Who is much more than it seems, and the free pulpit is much more than it seems. I take the pulpit with me wherever I go 24-7. I, it is in my car with me, at my office, even on my bike rides. The free pulpit doesn't require this 2,000-word speech. A single sentence or even a single word delivered at the right time and the right place can be as potent as a full-on sermon. Can I give up writing sermons? No. Okay. Even my silence and active listening can be as powerful tools as spoken words. Like the TARDIS, whose interior is infinitely roomier than its paltry outside dimensions, Hope's portable, free pulpit encompasses infinite size and possibilities. My TARDIS pulpit travels through emails, into hospital rooms, to our log cabin, and even enters my dreams. So... To help me remember the expansiveness of the pulpit, I wear a robe on Sunday. People have complained that wearing this robe makes this too churchy. You know, every profession has its uniform, from a suit and tie to the painter's overalls, This robe isn't some reference to God or heaven with angels who wear robes. This actually is an academic robe and has stood for that since the Reformation where education was valued. Our tradition insists on an educated clergy, a Unitarian Universalist minister has a college degree as well as a master's degree. So I attended both uh, Meadville Lombard, which is in Chicago, and a Unitarian Universalist seminary. And I graduated from the progressive local seminary, Phillips Theological Seminary. So my pulpit TARDIS, in the shape of a robe, includes libraries from around the world, online research I read daily because of the free pulpit I also wear a stole it's a symbol of my ordination and I wear it because it means I am yoked shaped like a yoke I am yoked to you I'm yoked to the world at large and I'm yoked to the mysteries of the cosmos. Being yoked, being connected makes me accountable. A free pulpit without accountability lacks integrity. I expect to hear truths from you when our truths and understandings diverge. I expect that. I'm yoked to the truth until I come to understand an even truer truth. I also wear stoles, as I said, to, to signify my ordination, and I earn the right to use the term reverend in front of my name. It doesn't mean I'm more holy than any of you. That's not what reverend means. It means respect. As Reverend Kathy Edwards, I continue the struggles to respect myself, to respect you, and the inherent worth and dignity of every person. I vow to respect the work we do together, and I vow to respect our intellect and our hearts. Fortunately for me, respect is not always solemn and long-faced. I respect you enough to joke and laugh. Truths told with humor can be better heard. My stoles are colorful and joyous. In fact, they're colorful and joyous because the free pulpit has room for every single human experience and emotion, the total gamut, from the deepest blues of depression death suicide to the brightest yellow of flowers and sunlight to the deepest reds of vigorously pumping hearts it took Reverend Dr. Furness 13 years to work up to his fiery draw the line in the sand abolitionist sermons I ask for patience As we travel this TARDIS pulpit together, it takes time to sort out the most critical truths and to speak them to each other. I promise we will not run out of things to say. We will not run out of things to research. We won't run out of things to think about. What matters is we keep traveling together one of our Unitarian Universalist ministers, Webster Kitchell, reveals. Sometimes people ask me how I keep thinking up new ideas for sermons. I don't. I have a few ideas that are fairly sound, which I think I can vouch for, and I just keep using them again and again. (laughs) Someone once said that politicians make the same speech as they move around to different audiences. And college professors make the same speech as the audiences move in front of them over the years. But preachers? Preachers keep giving the same speech to the same people year after year. My hope is that it will eventually sink in (laughs) may it be so